Welcome. This is Coppercast, a show dedicated to exploring the wonderful, if somewhat technical, world of institutional investment and crypto assets. I'm your host, Tyler Kenyon. Our guest today is Philip Nigelli, CEO and co-founder of Gen2 and Gen2 Digital. Gen2 is an innovative open platform that allows individuals to securitize bankable and non-bankable asset values with a Swiss ISIN. In short, Gen2 makes all asset classes accessible, manageable, and bankable. Welcome to the show, Philip. Thank you very much. Thanks for having me. So let's jump into it and start with your background. So where you were working before and how, you know, what was the catalyst really or the impetus for Gen2? What, what gave you the vision to create Gen2? Sure. Thank you very much. Well, I started my career in the market making uh, at uh, various exchanges here in Europe, um, just when they had their digital revolution. And... Um, that uh, led me all the way to Asia, trading uh, different sorts of strategies and portfolios. After my return, I went into the hedge fund business uh, for my own hedge fund uh, advisor, manager, and uh, also group. And um, uh, when I sold that in 2012, I uh, had the opportunity to join uh, a larger investment group in the US, uh, Forsman & Co. Um, I was there the CEO in Restructuring Forsman and Company, together with uh, J. Anthony Forsman, which was one of the pioneers in the hedge fund business, LBO business. And I had the opportunity to work with him and structure, restructure his family office uh, into a multifamily office and into a merchant bank structure. And that gave me also a lot of experience uh, on the U.S. side of the markets uh, and actually led the way into private assets, uh, into my experience with private assets and other sorts of non-bankable assets. And um, upon my return from, um, or my return from the U.S. in the end of 2017, I um, had the opportunity to build with my partner, Chan Tu. Uh, it was founded on his idea, actually, of making securitization accessible and usable for or a manifold of, uh, of, of financial intermediaries. And uh, with that opportunity, we formed the company in 2018. And uh, we certainly saw that there is a need for diversification of asset managers into all sorts of asset classes, also for banks. And we thought that uh, securitization provides the right tool to make these uh, uh, non-bankable and bankable assets or digital assets accessible and manageable and tradable and actually help with that diversification and the build and the growth of that market. And, and do you remember like the first time you heard about or people started talking about like crypto assets or digital assets in, in, sure. in your circles? that's a long time ago. <laughs> <laughs> that's a long time ago. That was still during my trading days or when I had my hedge fund business um, uh, that traders, uh, as a trader, I think you're interested in all sorts of assets and especially classes that maybe also have some volatility in. <laughs> and, uh, and with that said, um, we already then followed uh, Bitcoin and um, I actually already had a position in Bitcoin very early on, not not very, very early on, but uh, when it was roughly around $100, $130, and I had a good ride up to like $600 with that. Uh, but at one stage, I thought maybe I'll I'll change the strategy and, and take a pause. And uh, as you see, that was a big mistake, right? <laughs> How often do you reflect on that decision? <laughs> well, actually, not, not 
too many times. Uh, there were some reasons also for that. Uh, uh, that was the time when I started with Forsman in the U.S. and and it was always um, it was always the situation that you would not hold as a as a manager of such a company positions that that maybe also the business is exposed to and. Um, and uh, that was a clear reason to get for me also to get out of it because we had some business on that side, and so that changed from a private background to to the more professional portfolio building. It's, that sounds like a, a convenient emotional excuse not to feel regret about it. Oh, absolutely, yeah, <laughs> okay, no, absolutely. Uh, in your show and tell segment, we saw that Gen 2's assets under service has skyrocketed to like 1.6 billion. Can you give us an idea of, of sort of the breakdown of what those look like? Is, is it purely crypto? Is it, or you know what kind of things are being securitized? Yeah, it's actually quite diverse, and I think that also uh, reflects um, uh, the, our services quite well. Um, it's about thirty percent of our business is on the bankable strategy side, as we will call it, public market uh, strategies that our clients are uh, are building. And about 70%, maybe 65% is on the non-bankable asset side. So we build infrastructure, bridges, securities uh, to invest and fuel uh, other asset classes and create access to them. Of the non-bankable part, which is roughly 70% of our business, about half of it is uh, in private equity and private debt investments or, or securities to to invest in such portfolios or endeavors. And uh, about 20% um, of our business is in digital asset space, 25%, um, where we build securities for institutionals that they can invest easily into, into digital assets, uh, into in digital asset strategies, uh, also in crypto mining or projects around that. And uh, we certainly experience quite some growth in, in, in that sense because the diversification into digital assets, assets right now is certainly in high demand. And do you get a sense that, I mean, that high demand, is that coming, I mean, it's largely coming from institutionals, that's who you guys service, but... I mean, year, the year 2020 is unmistakably, you know, the pandemic starts. Yeah. So is that correlation direct? Is it purely because of COVID that, you know, this interest in... in I will crypto? not say so. I think, I think you know, the, the, the point is basically that, that portfolio allocations in the last 15, 10, 10, 15 years changed dramatically. I mean, the whole money market segment is, is gone uh, and you mean you mean that like standard like sixty forty split kind of portfolio composition? Exactly the class the, the classic portfolio allocation uh, does not exist anymore, and uh, certainly monetary policy policy did its part on that. But when you think of it that way, you had a whole asset allocations that went missing uh, over that time, and that leads to that increase in diversification that we see actually in investment portfolios. So. Today, I think, um, yes, of course, the classics, gold, real estate, maybe maybe also private equity, private debt um, market uh, has been increasing over, over that period. And, uh, and w- along with that, I think it's uh, ined- inevitable that, uh, that, um, that also the digital market gets its fair share on one side. And I think we all would agree that um, the financial markets develop in that direction and uh, certainly that's where the future is pointing at. And, uh, and I believe 
that it belongs into every portfolio. And being located in Switzerland, um, and we're recording this in, in Zurich, which is great, thanks for having us. Um, <laughs> it, it's been a particularly progressive, I guess, regulatory environment in Switzerland, or maybe just so for crypto assets, or like the digital asset industry. I mean, do you think over the last year, 18 months, that along with COVID as well is, is really driving the investment here in crypto? I would say, you know, wherever you see that in England, you see that here, you see that in the US, wherever you have sophisticated uh, investors and where, wherever you have um, experienced people in that market and in that service industry, um, uh, there is talent to actually uh, for and a constant thrive for innovation. And I think Switzerland has never been the fastest in adapting to to new rules or legislation, but 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 you can certainly say that uh, that uh, Switzerland uh, has the talent to actually be a good part of development uh, in that space and 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 creating innovation. Uh, it's a core business in Switzerland, uh, financial services, and and with that said, I think we have talent and we have have human capital and uh, and also resources to serve that uh, that innovation so speaking of that innovation and i think um you know using amcs for um you know i guess wrappers of digital assets to make them clearable in the banking system yeah quite innovative um but not i, guess, I don't think all of our listeners will really understand an amc what it is its structure can you can you just give us the the 101 on sure. amcs sure i mean Finally, it's a way um, it's securitizing assets um, in 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 an approved form, right? Uh, creating transferable securities and structured products, and um, and uh, an AMC is, um, is is a security backed by a discretionary portfolio, and and uh, the constitution of that portfolio. Um, so it's could be compared similarly to a fund. Uh, but is a different. Uh, it's a different uh, legal setup. On that note, maybe just one uh, fun fact. Um, I mean, when we started our Gen to digital business, and when we arrived from Zurich to Zug, which is very, uh, very nearby, but when we arrived in the Crypto Valley with that offering of securitizing digital assets. Uh, we were not that well received, you know. Uh, people thought like, okay, now tokenization is coming, uh, digital markets are coming, and they were thinking a lot about how that will change the world, of course, and 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 our futures. But they they thought that securitization belongs to the old world. But uh, never forget, every development and every market needs underlying investments and assets and fuel, as I would call it, uh, in that sense. And, and uh, for that reason, um, it was a challenge to actually start implementing from both sides, from the traditional banking side, but also for the digital players, actually an offering that combines investors uh, with, with these assets in a, in a professional and approved form. Would you, would you, is it fair to say then that like uh, securitization and the AMC route is, you know, solving a problem for now, and also two years ago when you started launching them, and the the tokenization is solving a, a problem three years from now. Hopefully, uh, I cannot tell. I don't know. I don't know. I, I don't know to say uh, what the time frame is on that. But 
what I what I certainly can say is that um, there are still a lot of investors, mainly institutional ones, that um, that uh, need to um, need to have a good structure and an approved structure to manage their assets in, to consolidate these assets in their portfolios, and that's why I think that securitization will be here for a very long time. Um, uh, most probably longer than we think, uh, especially in the banking and in, in the institutional markets. Nevertheless, um, I think that uh, it's promising what you can do with tokenization, and it certainly will find more adaption. And um, I mean, I, I was just discussing that with a, with a friend of mine lately. I mean, if you think about it, the, the digital market is most probably the only financial revolution that was really driven by users less than by the institutionals in that market. Or the, the legislature from that point is more an adaption in the reverse way. And, and for that, it's very interesting. Private uh, investors are already in digital markets, or, but the institutionals still have to go a long way to actually make experience and build experience in that. So th there's two things I want to follow up on here. One is just geographically, is the interest in AMCs split evenly or is it predominantly a European investor base, no, maybe it's Asian? It is, it is definitely uh, a European investor base tool, um, but, uh, but it finds more adaption. In the US, for example, with ETFs now starting to come online, some in Canada, I think one's just been approved, a futures-based one in the, in the U.S. as well. Um, is that a threat to AMCs, or AMCs offer so much flexibility in the underlying that ETFs don't really, you know, they're, they're different products for different investors? Um, I would say it's more the tailor-made market. It's also a bit more bottom-up. It's a bit more um, an AMC you would use for actually creating your product, your experience, and maybe also realizing your strategy, and maybe also finding new um, uh, methods of, of, of representing these strategies. It's, it's a more standardized product. Nevertheless, I mean, now there are... Uh, actively managed traded, uh, actively traded uh, products, um, and 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 they will find more adaption. So, also, if you, if you can talk us through, like you know, we sort of understand an AMC and what what its purpose is and who its investors are. So, for Gen Two, um, when someone comes to you with an idea, what's the what's the process? So you, you're setting up a platform for them as well yeah. as a product. So, yeah. how does that work? What does it look like? So, what we do is, um, as uh, with the service that we provide, we provide our clients with a legal structure that they actually can use for the securitization um, and for the products out of this this issuer uh, issuance platform, and um, and uh, we consult them in how to set up the right products. We actually structure them with them. Uh, we put that in the right form. We help them to organize basically the whole complexity around. Uh, the realization of of uh, their product, um, and um, and with that, uh, we certainly see that our clients have a lot of fun and a lot of uh, a lot of uh, support in actually realizing the strategies and the products that they want 
by us taking away that complexity. So it's similar, I guess, similar to creating a fund, but because you have the the platform and you're almost like a off the shelf, yes. ready to go, you can do it presumably faster. Yeah, we can do it faster, a bit more efficient. Uh, we have most probably more experience with different asset classes. Uh, sh- certainly, uh, a good time to market on that side, and 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 the great flexibility. Uh, for the strategies, for the partners that you will, will might need in the execution of that strategy. I mean, like we work together with Copper, I mean, our, our, our clients maybe want to do digital uh, investments on, on many different uh, platforms and, 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 and so we have a good offering actually with you that we can combine these investment ideas into the right, uh, into the right setup. That reminds me, I probably should have dropped a full disclosure. We worked together at the beginning of this. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But, um. So the other thing I wanted to bring up was stable coins. And, you know, whether your clients see a lot of interest in stable coins, whether they see them as a, offering a different purpose. Like, I mean, if you're comparing it to a, a fund structure, are people thinking about stable coins for subscriptions and redemptions? Or is it you know, is it not quite that advanced yet? And stable coins are just... A concept that people have in their mind well i think there are some very good examples and 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 certainly good use cases on that side i sometimes see stable coins more as a reserve in a sense um and yes it's also close in some examples that we build to like this asset-backed security type of thing, um, which uh, makes a lot of sense, right? Uh, and also, uh, especially in certain uh, portfolio allocations. But I would say that the excitement um, had uh, was a bit limited uh, in the last months um, from what we saw. I wonder if that's um, lack of diversity among stable coins out there or... You know, people don't want to just rely on, on one or two USD-backed ones. Yeah, most probably. I mean, that business is is uh, deeply influenced or, or that partic- these particular products are deeply influenced by by uh, by trust and by the, the trust in the underlyings. And, uh, of course, these underlyings already have, uh, have been available in other forms, and so um, I think stable coins will have a good potential to grow alongside it with the with the overall growth of uh, of digital assets. So speaking of growth and and you know forward looking, what's next for Gen Two? Because you've had a heck of a year. Um, <laughs> obviously, it's going to continue, right? Yeah. <laughs> well, we all hope so. First of all, I think, um, you know, as a modern company, you have to be very purpose-oriented. You have to really serve the needs of, uh, of your clients. And when you look at it, uh, our whole industry is depending, is set to serve investors, right? And we have many service services in between, between the sell and the buy side. And um, I think it's very important that we 
have uh, innovation in that field, making things easier and, and making things more efficient on that side. And right now, I think we're doing a really good job in, in uh, not only executing on that, but also innovating that uh, uh, going forward. And um, yes, with the experience we had so far and uh, with the success that our clients had with the products that they built through our platforms or through their platforms that we built for them, I think um, we still have a, a long way to go and we have, uh, have uh, lots of exciting things that we're working on right now. I think that, that innovation and that drive for efficiency is key. And, uh, Absolutely. And we hope seeing the, the ecosystem grow just for everyone uh, to their benefit. We do have a set of questions that we ask everyone. So uh, if you'll entertain me, we'll just run through them quickly with you and we'll I'll get your try, take I'll on, try my best. on the world. Okay. Where do you see the crypto industry in one year versus 10 years? You mean in terms of overall size? Or yeah, that's how you interpret I, I think, f uh, I mean, to make it easy on myself, I think that uh, we will see very strong adaption on that side and we will see, um, see great adaption on the institutional side. Uh, I mean, it already started and there, I mean, one thing is for sure, that can't be stopped. I like to hear that. If you could change one thing about our industry, what would it be? I would say that um, people appreciate more uh, the regulation part of that industry because we often um, seem seem to be worried about that or, or challenged by it. And I must actually say um, the investment market is about trust and, and we have to build and work on that trust for, for some more time. Is there a piece of technology that you could not live without? <laughs> Unfortunately, without my mobile, it would be impossible. Fair enough. What does your weekend look like if you get time off? Well, I tend to turn off my, my phone on the weekend and uh, dedicate my time to my daughter, which is now four and a half. And um, she's just the most wonderful thing I've ever seen in my life. So, so. Uh, Somebody should have told me once to start earlier with having kids, yeah? I agree. I've got two little ones. I know exactly how you feel. Um, is there a film you can watch over and over again and never get tired of? Oh, wow. There are a few, but I <laughs> I would say The Big Lebowski always makes me laugh and uh, makes me smile and certainly also reminds me sometimes, uh, not in all uh, situations of my life I had in L.A., and on the on the other side, I think every every movie of Wes Anderson is just uh, is just uh, uh, just unbelievable. Yeah, he's great, and The Big Lebowski is a classic. Absolutely. Do you have any catchphrases or mottos that you live by? <laughs> well, if you're walking through hell, keep walking. <laughs> Was that Churchill? Churchill, yeah. <laughs> um, who should we all follow on Twitter? I would say uh, Jordan Peterson. Ah, interesting. Cool. What was the last thing that surprised you? Whew. We ask the hard questions here. Yeah, I see. It's a really <laughs> tough one. Well, the last thing that surprised me was that the 10-hour flight <laughs> from my holidays back was incredible. seemed incredibly long. I don't know. Maybe <laughs> I just... I just uh, you enjoyed uh, the holiday too much. Yeah, maybe. yeah, maybe that. Or or I'm just not used to flying that long anymore. I don't know. It's been a while yeah. for all of us. Um, who is the next guest you think we should have on our show? I think um, 
I would give the guys from uh, from Lemvy a chance. Um, I think Max is doing an incredible job, incredible job down down in Lausanne, and he's been a very good client of yours too, as far as I saw. And and he's he's a, he's he's a great man. Sounds good, Max. We're coming for you. Last question: If you somehow managed to meet Satoshi, but you could only ask him one question, what do you want to know? I would ask him how he would describe everything he knows in one word. That's good. I like that. Okay, that's it. Philip, thank you very much for coming in. I really appreciated this. <laughs> thank you so much. It's been incredible fun. Yeah. To our listeners, if you haven't already seen Philip's show and tell video, please go to our YouTube page or you can find it on Twitter at CopperHQ or on the website, copper.co forward slash insights. There you can also sign up for our newsletter, which comes out every Tuesday and includes links to all the week's top stories, as well as any updates from the wider team here at Copper. If you've enjoyed listening to the podcast, please make sure to give us a good review in whichever streaming platform you're using. And if you want to get in touch, you can always reach me, Tyler, on Twitter at CryptoTSK, or you can email me directly, tyler.kenyon at copper.co. If you'd like to be a guest on our show, or if you know someone who should be, give us a shout. We're here to talk all things institutional crypto. This show is made possible because of the technical and creative wizardry of Ben Silvertown and Tally Spear, and support from Melly Malford and Eva Lila. <laughs>